and this is the K-Cut, movie podcast for movie fans. James here. I'm a content creator. I produce and release music under the alias Boutique Paul, one half of the Prefer Not to Say podcast. I've written for Films Fatale, and my main interests include 70s cinema and no-budget cinema. I'm Rachel. I also write for Films Fatale. I love international cinema, silent movies, classic film, and lost movies. My name is Andreas. I uh, created and write for Films Fatale. I love art house and international cinema as well, but I also love a little bit of everything. Um, I'm also a big sucker for um, aesthetics, visual art. Uh, this is kind of something that I wanted to get into when I was younger. Uh, any uh, Torontonians will be very familiar with the... Uh, pencil crayons and uh kleenex box aesthetic of the ocad building um pencil crayons are colored pencils in the u.s for any american listeners that too so specifically specifically for the torontonians um if you don't know what i'm talking about look up the uh ontario college of arts and design it's now a university but it was a college um look it up you'll see what it looks like it's very funky anyway um wanted to go there when i was younger didn't really work out, but that did help me, you know, cater my taste towards film. And that's kind of more important because that led me here. So uh, the point I'm getting at is I'm I'm still to this day fixated on color. So what we're going to do is, uh, in case you listeners at home don't know this, we actually pick our episodes in order. So we go Andreas, Rachel, James, and then whenever we do a smorgasbord, we toss it in there. Uh, for the next couple of Andreas episodes, we're going to be focusing on films that evoke certain colors. So this week we're going to get into the primary colors, then we're going to get into secondary, and then the final episode will be all the remainders, so black, white, brown, pink, etc. Uh, gray as well, but uh, no black and white films because I feel like that's cheating. So this week, yep, we're doing primary colors. So films that remind us of red, of blue, of yellow. Now, I didn't specify, but if you wanted to use it figuratively, like a sad film for blue, you could do that. I myself just went purely colorful, so um, I'm sure that might be the case. But, uh, you know, for examples for listeners at home, uh, something like the Kieslowski trilogy, the Three Colors trilogy. So the red film literally has red, crimson hues all over the place, and his film Blue is exactly what it sounds like there's like blue shining through everywhere lots of pool shots sky shots etc so uh let's go in order of red yellow blue let's start off with red you know make things really really intense what's a great red film where you look at it and you're like oh yeah that's undeniably red uh, who wants to go first i will okay what did you go with I went with the movie of scandal, sin, and hot-blooded jazz babes wandering through the darkness of the night, and that is Chicago. This movie is painted red. In fact, there's a lyric about painting the town. And it's this color of vitality, of sin, of all of these things that red symbolizes. In many cultures, red is kind of a scandalous color to wear, and Chicago wears it on its sleeve. I think that it's... Uh, it uses this color so heavily that it was the first one I could think of when red came to mind. Uh, you guys have both seen it, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've yeah. done every Best Picture winner. I almost picked this. Yeah, it's perfect, right? And the costumes, the backdrops, especially in the sort of dream sequence musical numbers, this movie just, you can't run away from that color. So it may be an easy pick, but it was my pick for this one. I know I've given Rob Marshall a lot of flack in the past, but... Um... 
Ron Marshall and like Laz Berman and the like, but they are those types of musical directors are also brilliant when it comes to the use of color. And yeah, you hit the nail on the head where as soon as you said Chicago, as soon as you said it, I was like, okay, I can absolutely see why. And it's interesting because it's not just the glitz and glamour of like, you know, show business and red and it's captivating, but it's obviously like, like a not so hidden allegory to like, you know, the theme of murder and the blood in one's hands. So I feel like you always have the, uh, but two things in mind, fame, but also mortality, like throughout the film because of the use of red. See, I think of red as the energy of the film, um, in the sense of, of blood in the other way. That as well, because it, it is a very energetic film. Yeah, so that's my pick. Uh, James, what about you? So I was trying to figure out what I wanted to go with. Part of me wanted to go with Moulin Rouge, but... Another musical. <laughs> I assumed that Rachel might pick that or Chicago. So I was like, nah, I don't want to go with the musical. I, I want to be a little bit different. So I decided to go with Suspiria. Yes. Primarily because I, I don't think it gets any better than like the type of red used in Italian horror for the blood. Like, And, and since it was shot in Technicolor, it really stands out. But also when uh, people generally dissect this film in the color red, they uh, talk about how, you know, certain scenes in or situations are, you know, they often, you know, tint with a red light to kind of invoke the kind of danger or violence that's approaching. And especially with the kind of nature of this film dealing with like witchcraft and all that, I was like, this was like, you know, you can't use anything but red in certain moments to kind of accentuate what's going on, especially being shot in Technicolor. And, you know, you bring up the Technicolor and it was the very last film, if I'm not mistaken, the very last film to ever use Technicolor. So, you know. Um, oh, really? It was either the last or one of the last. It's a, it's for sure one of the last, but I, I often feel like it's it's described as the last. But we, we've all heard that before where it's like the jazz singers, the first talkie. Uh, spoiler alert, it isn't. Anyway, um. But, you know, to your point, it feels like Dario Argento, who was very ascetic anyway, um, just had that in mind. Like, how can I go out with a bang? Like, the potential last Technicolor film ever. Because it really is one of the most enriched films of all time, visually. Um, and I know a lot of people see, like, gel lighting as a faux pas in, in cinema. But, like, in this, in this instance, it's brilliant. I think it's just so over the top that it's brilliant. Gel lighting works for this because we're kind of still on that age of like psychedelia. Yes. You know, coming from the late transitioning from the late, like late sixties or early seventies. So it's like that kind of stuff just, it just works. I mean, yeah, it might look cheesy on something else, but here it's like, okay, it has to be really, you know, cause, cause the gel lighting provides this like really dense look that you might not get with general color correction. Absolutely. Whereas, like, to go back to Chicago, which is, like, again, like, evoking a stage quality, um, that doesn't feel like gel lighting, but it feels textured instead. So it's not as, like, flat and, like, drenched, like, gel lighting, but, like, similarly enough that, like, the red, the use of red is undeniable. Alrighty, so what did you go with, Andres? So mine's going to feel extremely on the nose, and I apologize, but it's like the film I think of whenever I think of the color red. And it's probably much to the director's chagrin because he uh, infamously lately has uh, color-coded his films again um, while remastering them for Criterion. Um, but hey, that's okay. The, the film I think of whenever I think of red is In the Mood for Love by Wong Kar Wai. Uh, yeah, if you check out the remasters, they're much more like 
balanced and if anything like the greens kind of pop a little more but if you go back to like the original release this thing is so drenched in red that it looks like fuzzy and like blurred out almost like it's uh like what's like it's almost like fading into the into the predominant hue even though other hues like that green like pop out but that use of red that use of red is like my favorite in all of cinema yeah i, I have the one carway box and i still have yet to sit down and watch it and like every time you talk about them it's like i need to watch this actually it's really interesting because i remember there being an uproar with the changes that were made in the films and he actually made a statement about that specifically, I think it was for Fallen Angels because the black and white sequences aren't there anymore. Something like that. But he basically said, like, this is how I wanted to shoot it, but I couldn't afford to. So it's like, you know, on one hand, that's why I'm not, like, too up in arms about this. It's like... Apparently it was also a mistake for that also. Like, there was something happened where they couldn't color it correctly, so they just... They made a similar scenes black and white to where it kind of looked like stylistic choice. But uh, I think he said something other than, like... um uh, we aren't the same audience. These aren't the same movies. And I, I thought that was a really interesting statement. I think a lot of people were up in arms because in general, Wonkar Y is heavily associated with colors. Like I, I promise I won't pick them for every episode, but if you look at like um, ashes of time, yellow, if you look at Chucking express and fallen angels, green, happy together is also very yellow. Um, my blueberry nights, very purple, very, uh, very cool colored, and obviously with this, you've got like a lot of reds. Um, as as cheers go by, very purple. So I think a lot of people are bothered because it's like of all the directors to color code their films again, why would it be this one? Um, otherwise, we're going to hop into yellow, which I feel like might be an easier color to pick or harder depending on the cinephile. So uh, I'd say harder to pick from. Potentially, potentially. Uh, let's see what we what we got. Rachel, what did you get for yellow? Okay, well, I was going to do Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but it seemed a little obvious, and also I figured one of you two might pick it. So I went with Never Let Me Go. So today, uh, as we're recording, the Nobel Prize for Literature was announced. Congratulations to Annie Alno. And I was thinking about my all-time favorite Nobel Prize for Literature winner, and that is Kazuo Ishiguro and his great novel, Never Let Me Go, which is one of my all-time favorite books. I'm rereading it for the umpteenth time. And the film doesn't exactly, like, it's not the greatest movie ever made, but it is quite a serviceable adaptation. It's got a lot of skill in it. It's not really, it doesn't really use yellow in the extent that, say, Chicago uses red. But to me, yellow is the color of nostalgia. It's the color of the past. The documents turn yellow when uh, they get old. When you think back on your memories, you've got these endless golden summers. And in many ways, Never Let Me Go plays with the nostalgia and the memories of the past and how sometimes you can't trust them and how sometimes they take on greater importance because you're living them in a preserved way. So, yeah, Never Let Me Go is my pick because of the way that it is so built on the memories of the characters and the fate they all must eventually reach, which I will not spoil. Which, first off, shout out to a brilliant novel. If you haven't read it, the the theme alone... It's it's sci-fi, but not like sci-fi. It, it feels like it could actually happen. Is very hard hitting. Um, a fantastic approach to like how romances can be depicted in in literature and or film. The film itself, I feel like, is a little underrated. But yeah, it's not like a proper representation of exactly what you could get it from the from the novel. But it is an early rising start for Andrew Garfield, Sally Hawkins. Three great um, performances. 
Yeah, and um, oh my goodness, why am I forgetting her name? Keira Knightley, Carrie Mulligan. Uh, Carrie Mulligan. Yes, and Carrie Mulligan. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I see what you're saying, though. It's a very, yeah, like beige, uh, naturally lit type of film. So I, I completely get what you're saying about that and the whole notion of like life but aging being represented in the color yellow. Because it's also like their salad days as well when they're younger. And then when they when they grow up and they realize uh, this unfortunate truth, which I won't like spoil for those who don't know. But um, yes, yeah, so suddenly the sun rays and everything don't seem so nice anymore. They actually seem quite damning. And their memories are eventually what sustain them through their hardships. Exactly, exactly. So it, it, there's like this nostalgia to it. James, what about you? What did you uh, select for the color yellow? I have a feeling I might know what it is. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. So, yeah, I was trying to think of films that made me think of yellow, and I couldn't think of any at first. Actually, I couldn't think of anything that it wouldn't be obvious as to what I'm about to pick, but I decided to go with Kill Bill Volume 1. I thought you were going to say The Godfather. Okay. <laughs> I didn't even think of The Godfather. No, I decided uh, Kill Bill Volume 1, because Uma Thurman dons the iconic Adidas yellow Adidas track shoot with the black stripe that Bruce Lee wore in Game of Death. Oh, so the poster is just solid yellow with like Kill Bill and black letters in her in that outfit. But, um, which I think was a not only a great pick as an homage to Bruce Lee and his, you know, contribution to martial arts cinema, which is obviously one of the big influences on Kill Bill. I like the way that it works in the overall scheme of. It just in the framing when she's fighting the the crazy eighty eight and she gets blood splatter on it. It's so striking to have the blood on the yellow tracksuit. But also, I think it not it doesn't do it directly, but it kind of indirectly also nods to its influence by westerns because if you notice westerns, westerns are very bright. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think this also kind of reflects that. Just to a certain extent, but yeah, I don't know. I just I think yellow, and that's what I think of because it's it's just so noteworthy, and the fact that it's you know most people know it, even if you've never seen either Killboy or Game of Death, you've seen that tracksuit. I mean, it's one of those things that's sometimes referenced in other media, also. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's also Uma Thurman's blonde, so I guess yellow kind of goes along with that. Uh, oh, also, uh, Buck's truck that she steals is yellow, if I remember correctly. Well, it's interesting that you uh, went with that because it it's a testament to how much proper um, costuming or proper sets or hair and makeup, how much that can like evoke one's concept of color for a film entirely. Because there's not much yellow in the film, but there also is because the the main heroine um, dons yeah that yellow suit and uh, she fills up each and every scene, like every all corners. So. Um, in a way, it does. I couldn't imagine it without it. Yeah, especially when she's like zipping around from like each corner of of, of the frame, uh, beheading people. It, there really is. I mean, this sounds kind of corny. It's like she's a bee, like fluttering around, like a killer bee. Little a hornet, little bit. Yeah, yeah or a hornet. hornet. There you go. Yeah, a hornet. For me, um, I mean, there are a few films that are like explicitly yellow, but I also kind of went with something a little bit more metaphorical or like you know like a tone um deep down my answer is always going to be days of heaven but i wanted to like not pick that um which is a fantastic use of yellow by the way Uh, instead i went with um 
a film that I've brought up on here before, and I'm going to do it again. And guess what? We're going to make it a trifecta. We've each brought up a musical. Um, I think all that jazz. I love the fact that the entire film feels like it's like kind of bronze or kind of golden. Like it's like illuminated, like a spotlight. Like you're looking at Bob Fosse's entire life under this scrutiny, this lens. Um, everything just pops with like this muted yellow like everything's being illuminated like the stage lights or you know like the the marquee outside like everything has that golden glow to it and i love it well i don't know about you andreas but i'm feeling kind of sad now that we finished yellow so we should probably move on to our next color ah yes uh we are blue um and I'm not going to quote that Eiffel 65 song because uh, I'm, I'm above <laughs> that. Uh, but we are feeling kind of blue, like like Miles Davis. Now, that that is some music. That is a, that is a good album. Um, nonetheless, blue. So uh, what we might find here are films that are pretty tragic or pretty somber or just got a good nighttime vibe to them. Maybe pretty cool's feeling. Um, Rachel, what is your blue film? Mine is Flux Gourmet, which is fairly recent. Have either of you gotten the chance yet? I've never even heard of this. It just came out. Like Tiff, uh, the, uh, the the theater, not the festival, was showing it earlier this year. I wanted to see it. What did the other? What did? What was the other film that the director did? It was something pretty profound. I cannot remember. Anyway, I went to see Flux Gourmet earlier this summer with some friends. And yeah, this movie, it uses a fair amount of blue, but it's also because, um, so the premise is it's a sort of culinary intensive in this building, but there's also performance art mixed in. They really can't describe the plot because it's weird and it, it you just got to watch it because it's really hard to get a grasp on. But um, yeah, there's blue in the nighttime scenes and there are a lot of moments that take place on stage, which feature blue lighting, theater gels, that sort of thing. But it's also blue in the sense of obscene. This is kind of an antiquated term, but uh, a film that is kind of X-rated was often referred to as blue back in the day, and it took on the connotation of obscenity. This film isn't exactly obscene in the sense of nudity or sexuality, but it is obscene in its sense of excess. It is a gross movie. There's just a lot of things that are overdone, and this is all on purpose. This is all part of the aesthetic. And so I thought of blue in that sense, too, as the sense of its taboos and transgressions. Yeah, like like a comedian working blue, you're saying. Exactly. That that's really interesting. I've wanted to watch this film since it was on my radar. Uh, Peter Strickland is the director. He also did um, the not so subtle films, The Duke of Burgundy, which I think is a fantastic film, but also not color. the easiest watch. Uh, yeah, exactly. It also got that aesthetic game going on, and in Fabric, which also has its own aesthetic game going on. So, uh, Flux Gourmet, uh, like we always say on this channel, I'm gonna have to check that out. Alrighty, I guess I'm up, huh? Yeah, what about you? What's you? What is your blue film, James? So, I decided to go with a film by a director who I consider very much to be a modern master of color, Wes Anderson. Ooh. I'm going to go with The Aquatic Life with Steve Zissou. Yes! Technically, Moonrise Kingdom could also fall under blue or yellow, but anyway, why this one? I, I think I know why, but why this one? I think just the multiple levels of blue that are throughout the film, like the uniforms they all wear... Or, you know, there's the baby blue color. There's the, you know, the ocean, which is oftentimes animated as blue. But, I mean, water is technically clear, I guess. Sure. Uh, you know, there's a lot of daytime shots. So, it's like, you know, the blue skies. But also, there's blue in kind of the figurative sense. Because 
a lot of Wes Anderson films, there's a lot of melancholy that's tied in with the quirkiness and the kind of more upbeat nature of these movies. Like, they're, his movies are always fun, but they're actually really sad with the certain situations going on. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people miss the um, the underlying tragedy or sadness or realism in Wes Anderson films because they just view them as quirky and zippy. You know, outside of something like Isle of Dogs, which is a little bit more upfront with, with its emotional side. I mean, Grand Budapest is dark. And pink, very pink. Yes, and very pink. <laughs> I guess I'm not picking that one for the future episode. <laughs> very pink. Yeah, he's. Uh, I love his like storybook vibe that he has with his with his films, which you know lends itself to ha- being very colorful. So you could pick any of his films, like Walk or Why. You could pick any of his films for this type of an experiment, and you'll probably have winners all across the board. So for myself, I'm gonna proceed to beat that proverbial dead horse again. Um, blue is is. The complete opposite of yellow. I feel like there's a lot of films that implement blue and some that I've actually like um, pointed out before, like when I've like reviewed them and whatnot, are uh, Barry Jenkins' Moonlight. Barry Jenkins obviously being a, a disciple of sorts or like, you know, a majorly influenced by Wonka Kar Wai. Um, blue is the warmest color is a very on-the-nose example, but I'm going to be even more obvious with my pick. From the poster down to like so many shots in the film... David Lynch's Mulholland Drive is exceptionally blue, and I love it. That's a good pick. It is. I'm glad you didn't pick Blue Velvet. Or Blue Velvet. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, that would have been too literal. I didn't even think of that. I mean, Dutch in the name. I mean, it's like right there. I, blue Velvet's also got a lot of red going on, like from those that starting image of like the roses. Anyway, let's not go down that road. Um, Mulholland Drive. So Mulholland Drive is, is amazing because the very first image you see is like a very bright pink, but then you get like that red room where uh, I don't want to say what happens because it's kind of a spoiler, but that's like this abstract intro. If you don't know what's happening, you don't know what's happening. And then the first thing you see the Mulholland drive street sign. And that's like a very blue shot. And from that point on, it's like, just, it almost feels like every shot's midnight, even if it's in like the bright of day, because everything just feels like a muted, cool with a lot of like blue all over the place. And when it's nighttime, it's a very blue film. Yeah, I think about it. That is, it is a very blue film. But I almost kind of expect that from David Lynch. Inland Empire is also very blue. That's true too. I guess what makes it a little bit different outside of the uh, literal usage of blue velvet and drapes and stuff in blue velvet. Um, what Rachel was saying about uh, Flex Gourmet, there's a lot of like actual like, or like I guess more more in your case with Kill Bill, there's a lot of like actual like blue objects in this film, particularly the uh, the notion of blue keys and and the blue box, which you're often trying to figure out what's going on with that box, what is its purpose, and then Club Silencio has like blue lights all over it, so I guess David Lynch feels like blue is a very surreal color. Uh, the warmest color, but also a very surreal color that kind of lulls us into a state of hypnosis. Maybe that's why he uses it. Who knows? Maybe. I don't know. I don't think I ever, I've ever really noticed a color blue in it, but Twin Peaks is blue, just on principle. Kind of. Twin Peaks is also well, outside of like the Black Lodge, you know, the use of like reds. Um, but just in general, it's also very red, very orange, I feel like, especially because it's got like that 90s television aesthetic going on. Um I feel like the high school has a lot of like neon colors and especially like painted on the wall, uh, a, a lot of stuff going on, but 
Uh, yeah, David Lynch, not to the degree of Wes Anderson or um, or Walker Wise, also very obsessed with you know his uses of color. So there you go. Now, because uh, we've gone all we've gone through the primary colors, we're going to be uh, in a couple of weeks going through secondary colors: uh, green, orange, and purple, which should be very exciting. And you're not going to want to miss it. Plus, our episodes in between. So, where can our listeners uh, check out more material from us? We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter under the K Cut. And for our cinematic smorgasbord, I am just pulling up the list right now. And we are doing, sorry guys, my internet chose this moment to be slow, but we are doing the K-Cut, the Juniper Tree, come on, load, Um, the King is Alive, and the fourth one I can't remember. It's the, the King is Alive, the Way We Were, the Great Silence, and the Juniper Tree. That's the one. The Great Silence was the one I was forgetting. I just realized, did they all start with the? Huh, okay, interesting. Um, you commented on this last episode. I did? Yeah. Oh my, oh, well, um, uh, my random recommendation is Finding Nemo, because I've got the brain of a fish, apparently. No, it's not my... Anyway, uh, to that point, we love to wrap up our episodes with a random weekly recommendation, so we can maybe go in the same order. Um Rachel, what is your random weekly recommendation? Can be colorful, might doesn't have to be. Well, there was only one I felt I could pick, and that was Primary Colors. This 1998 political comedy drama is uh, created by Mike Nichols and Elaine May. It's got an amazing all-star cast, including uh, John Travolta, Emma Thompson, and Kathy Bates. And if you're at all familiar with U.S. 1990s politics, even a teeny bit, you will likely recognize some archetypes. Amazing, which I haven't actually seen that, so I'm going to have to check that out. Let's see, for mine, ooh, okay, one of my all-time favorites, when it, just from a color perspective, Spring Breakers Oh yeah, by Harmony Corinne. This film looks like it was shot with candy, like Starburst and Skittles. Yeah, I don't know, it's just, there's just something, it's, it's very pop art. You could have saved that know. for your pink pick. I could have saved that for my pink. There's a Lots very pink. pink. Movies out there. I might, I might just reuse it for the pink pick. Yeah, hey, why not? I mean, <laughs> nobody's, uh, nobody's telling you you can't. So, uh, but yeah, to your point, a very colorful film. Um, for mine, I'm actually, hmm, actually, just to be otherwise, I'm gonna go with something that's kind of void of color, but it uses it as highlights very specifically, and it's one that. It's kind of more of a James pick than it is an Andreas pick. I'm going to go with Sin City, where I feel like the uh, aesthetic scheme, where it makes it look like a graphic novel, and um, the use of yellow for a very specific character, which will make this pod not family-friendly if I say his name. Um, the use of red for blood, that sort of stuff. It's It's got the whole color game and the monochromatic thing down to a T. Like, I'm not a huge Rodriguez fan, but I feel like he's, outside of the Spy Kids series, got a definite eye for technology and aesthetics. And this, this, I'm going with Sin City. Why not? Shout out to Teenage Me, who would have loved that film. (laughs) 
Otherwise, that was the K-Cut, and thank you for listening to our first episode of this uh, miniature color series. Tune in in a couple of weeks when we're going to get into our secondary colors. Uh, that was the K-Cut, now we're going into the L-Cut. Mm-hmm.